Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, uh, as of today, the ACC is still playing football day. Yes, sue us if, uh, if, if they're not tomorrow when this, this airs. And that, that sound you're hearing is either the ACC canceling or my child dropping a bag full of blocks on the floor. I'm it's a assuming. metaphor. Yeah, it's definitely a metaphor um, for, for nothing in particular. Um, Dan, how are you given this, this, this time of great uncertainty and, and, and questioning around, around college football and, and whether it happens or not? Um, I don't, it's been weird. I've been like off the grid, you know, to a certain extent for the last couple of days. So like, I'll be following things here and there, but I, I hadn't been like working the last few days throughout all of this. Um, it's really funny because let me turn down my TV. Uh, it's really funny because nothing's really changed uh, dramatically in terms of the actual virus, which is like the whole point here. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's just funny to me that apparently this all comes down to big 10 presidents um, all of a sudden having the, re- the realization that like they weren't quite as prepared as they thought they were. Um, or that like the liabilities are too great, and it just like I have such a hard time separating it um, from just the general idea of like this all could have been avoided if we had actually figured out uh, the labor issues in college football. Like obviously, a lot of these guys want to play. We have the whole push right now. Um, it's very notable that they released that whole uh, we want to play thing with like oh yeah, by the way, we also want to organize guys, which is not like a a small thing at all and it's been ignored by a lot of uh certain forces who are just want the season to push forward no matter what but like if we had actually taken the time to figure out a the nil stuff which keeps on getting kicked down the road um and, and the NCAA keeps want to have like basically have their cake and eat it too with this and actually like open things up and just come to where we all know this is going you could have some sort of uh you know, even if you don't want to call it a union, some kind of organization among college athletes where they have um, some level of collective bargaining and have some skin in the game and that result. And then you're probably going to get them to a place where they'll agree to play if certain pretty like logical terms are met. And instead you have college athletes who are trying to strike out on their own doing this and, all, and you know, give them their full credit on that. Um, but then also like trying to find a way because they obviously want to play but they're trying to do it in a way that like is still somewhat uh, safe and makes sense. And we just aren't approaching the season in that, like with those things at top of mind, despite like what a lot of people are saying. And like, I respect like the Notre Dame and the Michigan players and the Ohio state players who have said like, Hey, we feel really good about the stuff the schools are doing. That's great. And I, I hope they're right. And I, I respect their viewpoint on that, but there's just like the fact that all it took was like a couple of school presidents to like throw some questions for this to all, potentially come uh, tumbling down tells you all you need to know about how uh, unstable the situation was from the, the jump. And if they had just been planning for this from March, we probably could have figured something out. And it's just, there's so little foresight and it's very frustrating and it's not at all surprising given how college sports are run. Um, but here we are. So like, there are like a thousand ways we could have drawn about this better and probably at least given a puncher's chance to t- the college football season. And it would have required, probably some admissions of uh, things that we all know to be true from the uh, NCAA side of things. And yet, because they are so loath to do that at any point, because they're so afraid of what that'll bring, um, you know, we might just lose a season, even if there were like good protocols uh, that everyone feels good about. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're far from the first people to kind of, you know, open this can of worms, but realistically, yeah, if considering that the NCAA tournament, like a huge moneymaker for, for NCAA and, 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 you know, college sports in general was canceled back in March. Um, and it seemed like things were going to quickly escalate towards not really having a handle on it. Um, even if you didn't make these decisions starting in March, you at least start planning ahead in, in March and April so that, uh, you know, across the board and with all these leagues that you're able to, to account for, you know, how you, how you implement a season, even if it's a shortened one, uh, and keep everyone safe. And it just seems like that was not something that happened. Uh, and that's not to knock any one singular conference, any one singular school. It's just to be, be frank that, uh, by and large, there just wasn't enough. There, there just wasn't enough accounted for uh, when it comes to to you know the powers of being college football around you know well okay so what happens if we're at this mark and what happens if we're at this mark and, and exact benchmarks and exact goals and, and and in some ways that reflects kind of how the countries handle things as well is that there haven't really been benchmarks that we need to meet or have to meet um, in order to move on to a to a next uh, phase. And, and I think in large part, you know, that, that that's kind of how how this this response has failed. And I think, unfortunately, like college football has kind of followed along with that. Um, I, I, I understand that, you know, players want to play. And I think that there, there's valid arguments to be had there um, around why they want to and, and how they want to. But realistically, until there's a until there's, you know, in a solution in place around how everyone plays safely and how you're protecting players. Um, both that want to play and don't want to play. Uh, I mean, really paying players and understanding what hazard pay is and, and all that. I, I think that, that that all this has to play in. Um, and I, I I just don't know how, right now I don't know how they rectify those things. But, you know, some leagues are probably going to try um, before maybe potentially canceling. Um, but I, I, I'm no fortune teller. I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to pretend that, that I understand how, uh, what exactly is going to happen here. I just, given the numbers and what they look like right now, I don't, I don't see how games are going to be played, but I'd love to be proven wrong and, and proven wrong with, with, with players being safe at the same time. It's wild because like throughout the whole summer, basically there were like, there were no like firm details because obviously there were no firm details to be had, but there was plenty of talk about how the Power Five uh, conferences were working together and they were going to like kind of form a unified front in terms of um, how to safely go about this. And like you could kind of see like, oh, you know, if they all have the same protocols and maybe they figure out, um, you know, campus stuff. And like obviously there are huge hurdles in college football and, and college basketball as well, um, but especially college football with 100 person rosters that are not presented to other sports and especially not professional sports. Um, that like it always seemed pretty daunting. But, like, at least the messaging was out there that we were working together. And then it very quickly in the last couple of weeks became clear that the uh, <laughs> the Power 5 conferences were not at all working together because they all, um, except from the SEC surprisingly announcing their late September start date, there was a little while there where it seemed like all five were going to start on different weekends, which is just, like, perfect. Um, and then even now, like, we heard the Big Ten was going to be suspended. Now they're trying to, like, foot out that they weren't sure. And now, like, some of the Big Ten schools are like, oh, maybe we'll play independent. Maybe we'll, like you know, bunk up with the big 12 or the SEC or something, which is just wild. I don't even know how that works contract wise. Um, John Wilner, who is like about as on top of this stuff in the pack 12 uh, from the Mercury news as, as it gets uh, just tweeted uh, a potential timeline uh, where like 
instead of canceling maybe the Pac-12 delay stuff until uh, like a September camp start and then an, a late October opener and have an eight-game schedule instead of a 10. So like they still just have no idea and it's it's just mind mind-blowing. And obviously like the safest thing to do uh, I guess if you, if you discount like the arguments that Trevor Lawrence made, where it's probably safer to have guys on campus, I think you could, I, I could kind of see where he was coming from there. Um, I think the, the the problem is like just having a football team together is a lot of guys in close proximity. And if one guy goes out to a party and gets it, like you're toast, like we'll look at what's happened with baseball. Um, but I, I like, appreciate the argument there. Like, you know, if you have guys leave campus, um, or you have no football and then people are unfocused, like maybe there are inherent risks uh, that become greater in that situation. But in any case, like it's just miraculous how much money is on the line and yet how little has been figured out here. Um, it almost makes like the MLB even seem like focused because at least the MLB like, I mean, they, they started a season it, it who knows if it'll end up finishing and like, maybe it's better to just fail at starting it at all, but at least they're like, they seem to kind of get together after a while and uh, college football is just like completely all over the place. The fact that like one news cycle looks like it's going to blow the whole thing up. Um, and I don't even know, like, I don't even know what I want in this situation. It's why it's, a, it's so frustrating because the fact that this has been so tumultuous in the last like 24 hours makes you think that if, if they can't even get the messaging right here, how are they going to execute a safe season? Like it just doesn't, I, I have no faith in that. So yeah, it's 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 brutal, and it's brutal because you know it doesn't seem like anyone's going to be happy now with whatever happens, and uh, it stinks because like we all love a college football season. Um, it's going to be brutal. Uh, I mean, personally, professionally, it's not going to be great for me if we don't have one. Um, and then the players, like I totally get why they want to play, um, but you know it does seem like they, uh, outside of at least like some schools, like even the Syracuse guys. It didn't seem like their safety concerns were as much with SU. It sounds like they're pretty happy with what SU has done, but like, I don't know what the the, the red flags were with like the rest of the ACC that they weren't super. Uh, you know, they they felt it necessary to take off practices for a few days. So it's just very clear that um, there isn't a like across the board level of certainty here, especially when you look at the Pat Twelve letter and you look at some of the other stuff that's come out on a school by school basis, and that's just like not going to be a good situation going forward. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I, I, I think right now what you, you have is a situation where uh, the seeds have been sown for organization. Um, I, I think that in some ways conferences are trying to shield behind uh, a coronavirus to kind of skirt around that issue uh, for the time being and maybe kick the can, you know, a few years down the road. Uh, I don't necessarily know if that's going to work now, especially like, like I, I think it could have worked. Maybe with, you know, the, uh, the We Are United and Big Ten United movements and even like the AAC's movement. But now I, I think that when you have another, you know, player organization front um, from Trevor Lawrence and, and, and those other, you know, star players um, that 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 is not, is not just looking to play right now, but it's also looking to organize um, on, on their end and also work with the, the Players United Groups, I, I, I just, I don't see how you kick this can, um, e- even if you decide to, to, to suspend this season or postpone this season. I, I just think there's too much happening. There's too much momentum now, and really, like the current cultural moment doesn't allow uh, this time to pass now. So I, I, I don't see how it happens. I also, you know, echoing you, like I, I don't necessarily see how how the season comes to pass just from a logistical standpoint, like it, it's unacceptable to me that, 
that the powers of being college football, you know, didn't have, did, didn't have a handle on at least what was happening and be able to plan accordingly. Like, and it does seem like that they're moving by the whims of, of players and, and fans and boosters and, and, and what have you when like numbers have been going up, they, they, they've largely been going up for, for weeks and months now. And there's no, there's no, not necessarily an end in sight, save a, a, a miracle vaccine that suddenly hits the market and works um, in, in the coming months. Like, and you and I talked about it, like when the new ACC schedule was released, it was kind of hard to understand how an 11 game schedule with all that travel was really any better than the 12 game schedule um, that was, you know, originally kind of spelled out. So I, I think starting in later September, after you see how things start to shake out on campuses is smarter than, than nothing, I think. You know, waiting even until October at the Pac-12 is floating that um, and, and trying to see is, is that smarter than than just starting as planned. But I, I I just don't see how this how this works out. I again, like 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 you professionally, uh, personally, I certainly wish it did. I certainly wish that there was a way that, you know, players could safely take the field. But but if you combine the concerns about it with, you know, obviously, I would think that 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 football players and this is not you know I, I don't have any science to back this up but i would guess that that you know players being larger people in general would probably be more prone to developing the heart issues that that, that have come about for several players um in the big 10 i know uh, i i would just think that right now given all the unknowns it's 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 unacceptable to put players in harm's way unless um, you know, there, there's certain assurances and safety precautions and there's an actual, like every single player needs to agree to, to be on the field in that case. And even then, like, I still have some concerns, um, around making sure that 18 to 22 year olds have every piece of medical information at their disposal before agreeing to this. Yeah. Like I, I'm not going to like, uh, just make or say that they can't make their own decisions. Obviously they can, they're smart individuals and. I think hopefully it's been oh, of pretty, course. pretty clear that, and I wasn't insinuating that you, you were saying that either. Right. Like hopefully it's been pretty clear to everyone how serious the situation is, especially with the growing level of uh, information we have about, you know, guys in the big 10, the five guys who are showing signs of that heart symptom, the, the heart issue um, that, I mean, if it's five guys in that conference, I don't think that's going to be like a limited thing. We also, there's a, there's a player on the Red Sox, if I remember correctly, who was also sitting out with it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you just, it's, what we've seen from these other sports that have started up is that you can make it this happen in a bubble situation with the NBA. Um, obviously the TBT was great. No, like they killed it. Um, the MLS uh, did pretty well after the first couple of days. Um, Baseball is struggling. I mean, every day like there's another, you know, the Indians now have a situation uh, without a bubble. Like if you had brought players to the table and you had allowed them to form some sort of bargaining group, and gave them uh, skin in the game here, you pro- and, and just kind of strapped the notion of the student-athlete thing because there's a decent chance we're not going to have students on campus come October, so you probably could have figured out a uh, you know remote uh, education uh, situation here, which actually could have been dealt with pretty easily if they were all in the same place. Um, instead of trying to do that and like you know giving something in order to make a season happen, they just tried to, you know, have their, again, they're always trying to have their cake needed to, uh, whether it's the NCAA or the conferences uh, in terms of this player empowerment situation. And and they, like everyone here, everyone knows that we're going to get to a point where players are compensated in some way and are going to have more 
uh, leverage on these situations, probably with every giving every uh, given year, considering how this year is going. And if they had just said in March after we we lost in Sibley tournament over this, that hey, let's be proactive and try to do something where it makes it make sense to have players in a bubble and get a season through, we like we wouldn't be having this whole situation. Like players would probably already be heading down to like Greensboro or North Car- somewhere in North Carolina for the ACC. And like, it'd be weird. We were like, oh yeah, but we also passed this thing that's going to be way better for players for the foreseeable future. And I don't, like obviously some people will be complaining, but I th- you, you, you deal with a lot of complaints all in one fell swoop uh, for the good of the game. And instead, you know, well, if we have a season at all, We'll, we'll, we'll probably know more this time next week, but, but you know, every single week it looks ra- radically different. So who knows? Sadly, I agree. Uh, uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on, I guess, before we got to uh, kind of halftime here in our uh, first half of the ACC football preview, because we are continuing with these until we know for certain that the ACC will not be participating in a college football season or even having one. But in any case, we did have a reader question from a well, reader's last listener question from a few weeks ago, um, and it was around Eric Dungy. Uh, this is uh, listener Bennett, uh, who, who wrote in to us, wanted to ask um, how exactly Syracuse found Eric Dungy and why the NFL, um, the Giants or anyone else uh, didn't keep him signed. It just always seemed like an anomaly that uh, no other power five school offered him a scholarship. He came in despite injuries as a real force. Um, and then despite his strong yardage and overall stats at Syracuse, the NFL gave him a shot and, and quickly spit him out. Um, Dan, I'll, I'll kind of start with the, the, the first bit of that. Uh, I think we covered some of this really around the NFL draft episode um, after, you know, Dungy was kind of up to get picked. I, I, I think, unfortunately, you know, Dungy was, he wasn't undersized necessarily, but didn't necessarily have the 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 arm uh, inaccuracy from a distance standpoint. Was somebody who did take risks. Uh, he was obviously a smart player, and and I think that helped put him in a draft conversation at one point. Uh, but realistically, I, I think the injuries, uh, the fact that you know a system label does get kind of put on um, many quarterbacks in in Syracuse's kind of scheme that they use on offense, um, and then yeah, just just the fact that. They're, I don't think they're – the numbers weren't overwhelming, um, realistically. I mean, that's not to knock Eric. I think he's put up some of the best numbers in Syracuse history. He was an awesome quarterback. He was a great player and leader uh, for Syracuse. But realistically, like, a lot of players in that sort of system do put up bigger numbers. Um, so I just don't think there was necessarily enough to to put him over the top, um, at least from a draft standpoint uh, and, and then a catching-on standpoint. We can kind of – start there um and then and then talk about a little bit more i, I think dungy uh I, a i just think quarterback is like a very very difficult place to break in uh at the nfl level um even if you're a great college player we've seen so many great college quarterbacks just for one reason or another fail to make it to the next level i mean you know say what you want about him like tim tebow is one of the few top college football players of all time um he had a you know cup of tea in the NFL. He had a nice year basically and couldn't make it. Um, I, I'm not you know obviously I don't think they're they're super similar players, but um, I think there's in the NFL it's hard to make it at that position because of the limited numbers. Most teams are only carrying two, maybe three quarterbacks if they have concern. Um, so if you don't have like a really one elite thing about you, it's going to be really hard to break through. 
And, like, I think Eric had a, a very good arm, but I don't think it was a great arm um, in accuracy and throwing power. Um, he was a really good heady runner, but I think, uh, what do you clock in at the 40? Probably, like, in the 4-8 range or probably, you know, 4 yeah, yeah, I think it was somewhere around there. Yeah, like, so, like, you look at a guy like Taysom Hill, who obviously he drew a lot of comparisons for in terms of, like, oh, maybe he'll play, like, kind of a hybrid H-back role, emergency quarterback. Taysom Hill runs, like, a 4-4. <laughs> um, just, like, a, a much bigger prospect, and they're around the same size. Um, maybe Dungey's, like, a better pure quarterback, but, you know, they, they, they kind of look the same, and then Hill has, like, almost a half second better in the 40 and just superior athleticism. Um, if Dungey was, like, 6-6, maybe he would have gotten another look. Um, but you know, he was kind of middling in terms of quarterback. So I think it was just like one of those cases where, uh, in a sport where there are, or even at a position where there are bigger rosters, if, if teams carried four or five quarterbacks, Dungey would almost definitely be on a roster. Um, it's just so hard, uh, to make, to cut out that kind of, uh, roster space at the position. So you really just are carrying, you know, maybe two guys. And even, even in, within that teams usually either want to have like kind of a young project quarterback behind like a veteran or they want to have a veteran kind of proven to win like one or two games here and there quarterback behind uh, a young or a more uh, franchise guy. And Dungey doesn't really check either of those boxes unless a team just really fell in love with him as a prospect. Um, so hopefully in the future, he'll catch on on like some, some practice squads, uh, some camps, and maybe he gets a shot down the road. Like it's not, um, out of, it's not unheard of for a guy to kind of pop up later in his career. Uh, or maybe he can catch on in Canada, or uh, if, if, you know, the rock starts the NFL back up. I know he was looking at that this past year. Um, so I wouldn't say his football career is over by any means, but I'm not surprised that he didn't latch on in the NFL um, as hard as I was rooting for him, too, because I, if he does, like, you know, that whatever team gives him a shot is going to sell out of jerseys in the, in the, the 315 pretty quickly. So um, I think we're all pretty clearly rooting for him, but it won't surprise me if that's just not a thing that he ends up uh, able to do. Yeah, I think those are some great points there. And, you know, unfortunately, like, you know, Dungy was dealing with some injuries too, like uh, shortly after he got, you know, into the, the, the Giants camp and that really didn't help him out either. And, and and I think that unfortunately that did kind of feed into the injury prone narrative, true or not. Uh, and, and and that was, you know, not, not it just didn't help him. And, you know, kind of moving this to like the how did teams miss on him? I, I think part of it was, you know, just if you're not in, in, in a football hotbed, like as, as, as we know, with even the New York uh, prospects and Northeast prospects that Syracuse does get a fair amount of, like if you're not in one of those areas, you're just not necessarily scouted enough. You're not necessarily uh, seen as someone uh, who, you know, the recruiting sites necessarily need to keep a huge eye on. Obviously he only got, you know, a handful of, of offers. And I think, you know, part of it was, I mean, there might have been some injury in high school, I believe. I think part of it was just – wasn't there that Syracuse.com story where just like he just didn't go to a certain camp and that was really like what did it where he just didn't have the same amount of eyeballs on him and, and you know, luckily, you know, Tim Lester decided to take a flyer for Syracuse. Um, but other than that, like if, if you don't go to certain camps, if you don't go to certain camps in certain places, like you're just going to get a – you're going to get a much more a much more limited – um, you know, amount of eyeballs and amount of, you know, just uh, recruiting websites and, and, and scouting, um, you know, eyeballs on you. And, and, and that's kind of what happened with him, where him, like, like, like numerous others, and, and we might see that with, with a guy like Justin Lampson, uh, who's a current Syracuse commit, 
um, or, or several other Syracuse, uh, you know, players, uh, Markowitz, Morgan, uh, many others who just, if you're under-recruited, unfortunately, it just doesn't always, you know, always get the attention you deserve and it just takes the right situation in college uh, for it to work out for you. But there's plenty that it just never does. And for Dungy, luckily for him and for Syracuse, it did happen to work out. Yeah, the, the Lamps in comparison is uh, is one I was going to make too. Um, basically, all the guys that we've kind of recruited in recent years, I know we had uh, some struggles for a few seasons that we were getting dis- kind of concerned about at the quarterback position. But you look at uh, Lampson, who's from like a, uh, a slightly less uh, football-heavy area of California versus like Southern California, where like every quarterback is from. Um, or you know, Dungey's from Oregon, which is not a huge recruiting state. And like you know, if the Ducks or the or the uh, the Beavers aren't on you, then it might be kind of hard for other schools to find you in the at the Power Five level. Or then Summers in Connecticut, or Markowitz, who was in a, like a very lower level, uh, you know, a smaller school level of Texas. Um, you can kind of find talented guys slipping through the cracks and and you know while it, it it stinks to not like land the you know elite 11 tommy devito every time um there's also value in being able to identify those guys who other big schools aren't going to get in on until much later in the cycle and i think syracuse had a lot of success at the quarterback position and, and other places um identifying those talents early uh and hopefully like the, the last couple uh these last couple cycles including with lamps and kind of get us back on the right track in terms of our quarterback room where, you know, our depth was a concern, I think in the next couple of years, we'll, we'll, you know, hopefully be beyond that, especially if, uh, you know, we get DeVito through his senior year and then can kind of start building behind him with some of these younger guys. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Dan, why don't we uh, talk a little bit about beer here um, at halftime before we get into our ACC preview? Cool. I didn't have a huge beer weekend. It was more uh, some wine, some mixed drinks, uh, and a couple things. But I am currently drinking a Monkey Chase the Weasel. I think I my, maybe my last one from Carton I picked up a couple weeks ago. And then I also had a couple of uh, resins from Sits Point over the weekend as well. Very nice. Uh, I actually don't think I've ever had resin out here. I've had resin in New York, but resin gets like I mean, Six Point gets out here now with like a lot of their core um, offerings. And yeah, I just haven't. I think it's because it doesn't get out here fresh enough usually for me yeah. to pick it up. It's one of those that like I never think to buy it. My brother actually picked it up uh, and he's not a huge beer person. So it was actually kind of uh, – I was like pleasantly surprised that he grabbed it. But then like every time I have it, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, this is a lot better than I uh, I always expect for some reason. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of those in any local market. Um, and resin probably applies in New York among others. Uh, on my end, I had a few uh, newer ones uh, for me and then a few that I've been kind of drinking a bunch uh, lately since I've been buying more four packs uh, than I used to um, so that I can avoid, uh, you know, shipping too much beer or going out too much. Uh, I had from Broward West. I mentioned Bounce last week. I had another one of those cans. Uh, I picked up a four, well, had delivered a four pack of uh, Neon uh, West Coast IPA from Highland Park. Had a couple of those. Uh, they had a uh, Malgo Pills uh, from Highland Park and a Amalgam Brewing um, out in uh, Colorado, uh, another really good Pilsner uh, from the guys at Highland Park. And then I had a, uh, a Crowler of uh, a Finally Fresh, uh, another Pilsner from Highland Park was uh, Keller Pills, uh, but another really good beer from them. I'm glad I, uh, glad I grabbed Crowler. So not, not a ton of variety necessarily, but still some good beer. But uh, yeah. Let's talk some ACC, Dan. Again, assuming we are we are still playing this season, our we're gonna go ACC preview. <laughs> our very yeah, very hypothetical <laughs> ACC preview. Uh, we start with uh, we're going alphabetically because there are no divisions this year. 
we start with Boston College. Dan, uh, obviously, they change coaches, they change systems. It's not going to be the same insufferable um, kind of offensive approach that we've seen in recent years where there was no passing attack. Um, but I guess, first and foremost, what do you think of the Jeff Halfley hire? Um, and, and do you think it's going to provide what BC is looking for in year one, or do you think it's going to take a couple of years to kind of install that? I feel like every Ohio State coordinator hire feels the same. Um, <laughs> like, that program is just so good that it's hard to really, like, get super – I mean, you can get excited about a coordinator, uh, but you never quite know if, like, oh, he just had, like, all the talent in the world to work with and he's actually, like, kind of mediocre um, or he's actually, like, kind of one of the masterminds behind this thing. Like, obviously, we know Urban Meyer was really good. Um, it certainly looks like Ryan Day is really good. Um I, it's it's hard to judge it. I like Halfley. Um, I will say, I think no matter what happens this year, BC should feel pretty good about changing coaches given uh, the events of the last week. Um, I, I will say the uh, three yards and a cloud of dust offense did grow pretty old, even if it was like occasionally uh, advantageous for Syracuse to face that. Um, so I think BC fans should be excited about that. They also maybe got a a immediate upgrade at quarterback bringing in Yurkovich from uh, Notre Dame, who was a pretty uh, highly touted prospect who just kind of got buried in the depth chart there. Um, obviously they lost Anthony Brown to Oregon who may or may not start. Um, I think there will be an adjustment period though. Uh, AJ Dillon's gone uh, was a second round pick by my team for some reason that's beyond me. Um, David Bailey's still very good. though. Bailey's good. Yeah. Um, the question is like, uh, BC has that like long-standing offensive line tradition, um, and like they, no matter what they are, you know that they could probably run for 250 yards on a different week. Uh, whether or not the team's any good, like that could still happen to you. Um, and it's up to Halfley to keep that rolling because, like, that's kind of where the, you know, even if they're not very good, they might just kind of steal six wins uh, out of nowhere. Um, but that might, you know, that to be increasingly difficult, uh, especially if the. Uh, if the Atlanta continues to be as difficult as it's been, um, and if Syracuse gets its its act together and NC State bounces back from uh, whatever like kind of depths they're hitting, um, so we'll see. It's it's just like I don't know. It's not like Halfley's a hire where like you know exactly like kind of offense he's he's uh, importing, uh, and you could really like kind of see the vision. It's it's more about like improving the talent level and and kind of getting out of like the sameness of uh, the the Daz era. Um, so I, I don't know really what to expect from them this year. I, I don't think they'll be like a great team, but they could surprise and make a bowl. Yeah. I mean, again, that, that's assuming that bowls happen. I think assuming, I, I think the caveat here for every team should be bowls will happen and that, um, and that the season as currently constructed will happen. I think we're just going to have to um, at least suspend disbelief on anything else for now. Um, I'm not, I don't want to get too deep into the, um, I guess the, the, the which game is which uh, for now, if only because well, the, the, all these teams really, if only because I feel like focusing too heavily on that could make this whole preview null and void. And there's the perils of uh, living near LAX um, for you. as the, uh, the, the rumbling that you might've heard in the background. Um, but yeah, BC, uh, they have a decent amount of talent. They didn't lose a ton realistically. Um, other than, you know, like graduation stuff, but I don't think they lost a ton um, to transfer as can happen with uh, with this sort of thing, with this sort of uh, regime change, if only because I think a lot of folks might have been kind of done with Daz. I, I think that a lot of fans in particular 
uh, we're, we're done with that system, as pointed out by you uh, earlier, Dan. I think the big problem for BC um, in this transition is really going to be, you know, how you how you manage still dealing with a, a running centric team, um, at least in the short term. And, you know, Yerkovic does help, uh, but he doesn't really have many to, people to throw to. Um, is, is how do you manage that when your your defense is going to let teams potentially uh, you know run up some some points on you, um, and, and that's kind of what happens here. Is BC's uh, you know what was working in that seven and six era was that at least they even if the offense was ineffective, uh, they seemed to have a defense that was able to hold teams. I think now uh, you have a pretty solid linebacker core, but you don't necessarily have uh, much else, and I think that was the issue last year too. Um, when things were falling apart and again, falling apart, but still manage, uh, you know, to get to a 500 record. So I, I don't know what we're going to see from BC this year um, other than what should be an improved and more varied offense. Uh, I, I think beyond that, um, unless the defense improves by, uh, by leaps and bounds, you uh, you're, you're not necessarily going to see a, a, a markedly better BC pro, uh, team this year compared to last yeah, looking at the schedule now, it's also, like, not very easy. Uh, it's similar to ours. Like, they have Louisville, UNC, and Notre Dame at home. Clemson, us, the two Virginia teams on the road. Like, it's not a – it's not – this the schedule the, the schedule situation this year is not not very kind to us middling teams. <laughs> Agreed there. Um, moving on to Clemson, and I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on the Tigers, if only because they're still very good, um, at least at current. Trevor Lawrence is playing. ETN is playing. Um, the offensive line reloads and rather than rebuilds, um, they have some questions maybe at just having the like same level of, you know, receiver talent. Um, that's certainly going to hurt, but you know, I mean, cause they don't have Justin Ross if memory serves. Um, yeah, he's out with a, uh, he had surgery. So he's expected to be out for the year. So it's, it's basically Amari Rogers kind of steps into that wide receiver one role, um, Joseph Nada and Frank Ladson are very talented, but kind of unproven um, compared to what Clemson's usually accustomed to. Not like it matters when you have a bunch of blue chippers, though. No, they should be very good. Um, they also, I mean, they've actually had kind of a tough offseason, uh, all things considered, for a team like Clemson. Like, the Justin Ross news is, is tough. Um, and then Xavier Thomas uh, reportedly might not doubt who's, who's, you know, probably their best defensive player. Um, so as far as like off seasons for Clemson goes, this one has been uh, a bit tumultuous. Agreed. That said, um, I don't really see another team, uh, that has the sort of talent they do. North Carolina is really the only one within like sniffing distance. Uh, I guess Notre Dame, um, as well, since they're, uh, they're an honorary ACC squad, uh, this year. But yeah, I mean, I think no matter the schedule, I, I, I'd be shocked if, if Clemson lost, um, I think again, though UNC and, and and Notre Dame are the types of schools that could test them. Um, if nothing else, it's worth noting, however, that uh, that UNC, uh, at least as the schedule is currently constructed, uh, would not face Clemson, uh, which is certainly advantageous, I think, for both schools. Though uh, the both schools do face Notre Dame, um, a team that we will get to at some point in our preview. I think, though, going alphabetically, uh, it would not be uh, this week. So I'm just confirming for my own. Yes, alphabetically, we're not getting Notre Dame this week, but we're actually no. not getting North Carolina this week either. But uh, yeah, then on Clemson once again. Um, next up is Duke. Um, Duke's biggest 
plus right now is uh, is maybe some uncertainty. I think a lot of people are not sure what they're going to get out of the Blue Devils. I think that has kind of been the case for Cutcliffe for a while. They know they're going to be decent uh, regardless. Even if they lose at this point, they're going to be competitive. Um, I think that's a, a, a good part uh, about kind of the Cutcliffe era in general and the sort of thing that Syracuse could strive to be. Um, in, in a future life, I think the offensive line is is pretty good. I think there's questions at the skill positions beyond Deion Jackson, though. I don't really think – I think Bryce could be good. I don't necessarily think he'll be great. I think the one benefit for Duke right now is the fact that they have, um, you know, obviously a, a quarterback-centric um, coach and coaching staff. Um, so that means they always have a chance to get results out of that position. Yeah, I, I definitely think Cutcliffe gives them a relatively high floor. Um, obviously, it's not like make a bowl every single year high, but given what Duke has been historically, like where they're at you, is is pretty much the highest floor they've ever had. Um, so yeah, I think Chase Price will be fine. I think he's he you know could be a winning ACC quarterback. I think he is going to struggle with um, the level of talent around him, uh, as you alluded to. Uh, offensive line could be decent, but there isn't a ton of uh, returning rushing game and losing the Quentin Harris uh, quarterback uh, running game is going to be a big one for them. Um, and then they also lose a lot on defense. So I, I their schedule isn't the, t- the, the toughest uh, given what the schedules look like this year, but um, I do think there is a, a there's going to be some issues with them storing points, especially against athletic defenses. Yeah. I, I think that's really going to be the problem for them is, is scoring. And like, while, um, well, you know, Cutcliffe is definitely a very good coach and a very offensively minded coach. They've never been this dynamic and like kind of high powered um, team, you know, on the offensive end. E- even when someone like, you know, uh, even someone like Daniel Jones was on the team, they weren't necessarily uh, the type of team that was just blowing everybody out. So I don't necessarily see this as being a team that's going to, you know, stick with maybe with some of the more high powered offenses. I think this is going to be a, a decent team. I think schedule um, as it's currently uh, set is about in line with what you would expect. I think it's going to be tough in, in, in some respects, uh, you know, having Notre Dame, North Carolina, obviously um, a decent team in Wake, a decent team in Virginia tech, um, and then a, a, a Florida state team that, that could be good if not great. Like, I, I think that they'll they'll look as they would um, even under a usual schedule. They they have a shot at six, maybe seven in, in a twelve game season. Um, but I, I I think just as as much as as that's true, you know they they, they could could and and could have um, very easily fallen under five hundred. And I think that that's that that's your standard uh, Duke season, um, especially at current without a really dynamic dynamic quarterback. Um, and now we move on to Florida State, another team that changes coach uh, coaches and and yet still has a lot of the same questions. I think there's more people are are just happy there's there's a change and that could be good. I think Taggart might have lost, even if he didn't necessarily lose the locker room. I don't necessarily think there that that those around the program uh, saw a significant like step forward in the cards for them. Um, I think that. Realistically, they're still probably a year or two away um, from being what we thought they were. Um, and that's mostly because of just, you know, offensive line problems in particular. And if you have offensive line problems, as Syracuse can attest to for, for much of last year, um, everything else becomes more difficult. Um, I think while you like it better than what they've had, 
that's still probably not enough. Um, I think the the benefits for them are, you know, having a a returning player like James Blackman, um, a quarterback and someone who at least has been, you know, around for a while. I think Tamori and Terry at wide receiver is obviously, you know, the sort of player that, that you like to have in place already when you're changing your offensive scheme. But then beyond that, there's, there, there's, there's questions abound, at least on the offensive end. Yeah, I think Mike Norvell uh, might benefit from this kind of being a year zero by default for teams with new coaches because you really don't know what to make of the season. Um, Blackman's okay, kind of in the Chase Bryce category. Like, I think you can win games with him if you put a really good team around him. I think he'd be successful. I don't know that he elevates the team. Um, Norvell's system, I think, is probably more plug-and-play uh, than what they were looking at. Um, but I, I, I struggle with the offensive line unless they take a huge step forward. Um, I don't see it being a quick turnaround for them. And I, from what I've read and what I've seen, um, the offensive line didn't see, it seemed like a, very much a talent issue. Like it wasn't just a steam issue. They need players in there and that's going to take a bit, um, throw in cam makers being gone. And, uh, I think the offense is going to be pretty middling this year. Um, but D has a lot of good guys. Uh, it's experienced. Uh, it hasn't been great. But you have a star in Marvin Wilson. Um, you have a couple other like really talented players. So if the D can come around, uh, which is a question mark because uh, the Memphis teams under Norvell were very much offensive oriented teams, and they would give up, you know, forty two points, but try to score forty nine and be okay. Um, but in a world where the the defense kind of steps up um, and can can kind of aid this offense in coming along and learning its system, they might be pretty good. Like they have the talent. Um, if it's gonna, if it, if they have to outstore teams, I think it might be trouble for a year. Uh, but I do think Norvell will have the benefit of like, it's gonna be really hard to judge any new coach this year or any coach that's in like a weird situation. It, it's just gonna be such a strange season. So um, I know asking for patience for Florida State fans is a lot. Um, I would say if I was a Florida State fan, I would try to take everything this year with a grain of salt. Yeah, really. I I think the the big thing for them is except the fact that while you're probably going to be better off than you were with Taggart in the long term, uh, in the short, you might not necessarily be all again, all that measurably uh, different as both of us have kind of pointed out. Yeah. Like Taggart was pretty awful there. So I think Taggart probably would have been bad again this year. <laughs> um, but Norvell, like you might not see the development, like the, the clear development right away. Um, but you can't just turn over coaches that quickly. So you have to give them a shot. Yeah, and realistically, if you, if you have the same sort of short leaf, leash on Norvell, you do kind of become, a, you know, one of these sort of tire fire, um, you know, blue blood or pseudo blue blood programs. And I know that's not necessarily what the Knowles want to do. Um, I think next up is Georgia Tech. Uh, if we're going just alphabetically, uh, Georgia Tech is a school that looked feisty, if nothing else. Uh, obviously, you know, it, it's hard to get out of uh, the dregs of the uh, the kind of triple option format. That said, Jeff Collins is certainly a quality coach and the sort of guy who could get them out of there eventually. And really, uh, you know, if, you, if you're in Atlanta and it's a hotbed for talent, um, you should be able to uh, consistently recruit at, at, at bare minimum at a top 40 level, if not a top 30. Um, Georgia Tech was not doing that on, under, uh, under Paul Johnson. And, and that's kind of, you know, along with his age, was kind of why you move on. I think Georgia Tech is still a couple of years away just because of the fact that they're still going to have to lean on, if not an option format, at least a running format um, for now. And that's going to hurt 
your ability to really lure dynamic talent on offense. On defense, however, they really weren't looking great last year, and they're not going to look that good this year um, either. I think, again, still a couple years away. I think the schedule, um, whether it was as written or at current, uh, really does them no favors based on who's on it. Uh, I think that people might believe in Tech more because they looked close in some games last year, but I think realistically they're a team that that is still very much at the bottom of of the ACC and might be um, at least on paper uh, the 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 worst among the worst two or three teams um, in the league, uh, but one that has potential in a year, maybe two. Yeah, I think most people knew they were like a year away from being a year away, and I I kind of wonder if them looking a little ahead of schedule last year will come back to bite them if they don't take a big step this year, and I don't expect them to. Um, offensively, they were kind of just as much of a mess as you expect a team going from the triple option to uh, you know a modern offense uh, would look. Um, the defense was like surprisingly bad. I didn't expect them to be that bad, and that, that's you know consider, considering they were still like more competitive than people thought it, it was uh surprising that it wasn't the defense like totally carrying them um that all being said i think collins is doing a nice job there i think he's doing a really good job of embracing the atlantaness of all of it where under johnson like the identity was not atlanta it was the triple option yeah, it was the city of paul johnson and that's not really like what you need to do it in atlanta and at georgia tech and i don't understand really how it ever happened to begin with i think we've talked about it a few times like we're all for uh, teams trying the triple option, especially teams in weird situations. I don't really know that I want my team to do it, but I'm like, if Kansas tried to do it next year, if Os Miles stepped down, I'd be all for it. Um, that being said, when you're in Atlanta, even if Georgia is just cleaning your house in terms of recruiting and you're just picking up straps from them, that should still be good enough to get you to like a pretty decent, like middle, middle to top third of the ACC level, uh, just based on how much talent's in that area. Um, so that seems to be Collins like major thing is like, we are going to push Atlanta and then we will build the culture around that. And that's smart. Um, and I am interested to see what they do with it, especially because we only play them every so often. Um, so, but this year I think they'll, they might be the worst ACC team again this year. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I, I know that's, that doesn't surprise us. I think it might surprise again, as you alluded to some others that, that, that are definitely on board, I think already with Georgia tech and think that everything's just fixed or close to fixed um, in a short amount of time, but we shall see. I'm not necessarily betting on them anytime before 2022 uh, to really start to make some noise. I, I, I think moving on though, you know, you look at Louisville, um, a team that made that, also made some surprising uh, noise last year and looked like they were back under Satterfield in year one. I think Satterfield's a great coach. I think there was a decent, decent at the very least amount of talent on the roster um, last year. Um, you know, he also, he also made sure to, you know, have, he got the most, I think, got the most that he could have out of what was on the roster. And, and when you're, you're dealing in, in maximums, sometimes you have to deal with minimums. I don't think that's going to happen this year. Um, I, I think that they're still going to be very good. Again, Satterfield is very good. Um, that's why kind of after one year, uh, players like players were happy to cash in. I think that, you know, there were even other schools sniffing around after year one because of what he was able to do. But now, uh, you know, Cunningham is obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. That's great. 
they obviously got a ton out of the rushing game, I think, between JV and Hawkins and Hassan Hall. Uh, the two of them did an awesome job and will continue to. Hawkins was one of the best freshmen, I think, in the country, at least from a production standpoint, last year. Uh, but beyond that, like, you really have a three-headed monster between, you know, Cunningham, Hawkins, and Fitzpatrick on offense, and that's sort of it. Like, there, there's a handful of other guys you like. But beyond that, like the, as I've been going through kind of the conference position previews on my end, um, I have actually maybe soured on, on, on Louisville a little bit um, compared to what like a lot of people seem to, to think you could get out of them. I think there's a lot of places where, where Louisville is not just, you know, not in the, in the top three or four in the league in terms of position rankings, but they're also close to or at the bottom three. For me, Louisville is a, a school that will be made um, or broken by their schedule, and I think that that they're probably closer to a a seven and five squad um, than they are to a ten and two. If we're looking at a traditional twelve game record, if only for reference standpoint, because I think that's what a lot of college football fans and writers, us included. Um, how, how, how we evaluate a, a team when looking at them, at least, you know, quick twitch wise. Yeah. I, I think um, they definitely inherited more talent than people expected under Petrino. And it's, it's a testament to how awful that 2018 Petrino team looked like they actually had some guys in that squad and they just, he just could not get anything out of them, which is a, an indictment on his coaching that year. Um, that being said, the defense was really, really, really bad last year. It was covered up because the offense was pretty explosive, and you, you touched on Cunningham and Hawkins and the uh, unfortunate uh, former Syracuse commit, Hassan Hall. Um, just really, like, impressive uh, amount of talent on that end of the ball. Um, this year, I think the biggest question might be the offensive line. You lose Mackay Becton, who was obviously, uh, you know, top 10-ish talent at the offensive line. Um, I forget where he went to. Did he end up doing, like, 11th, I think? Somewhere in that area. Yeah. Um, in the NFL draft. So that's a big hole to fill. I think they uh, lose a little bit of other uh, experience on that uh, end of the thing. Um, and then also you just have the raised expectations. I, I think they might end up being a team that looks about the same as last year and people will take it as kind of a disappointment. Really, like, uh, the progress isn't always going to be super linear, especially when you jump out of the gates the way he did this past season. So um, I still think Louisville will be, will be quite good. I think their schedule is quite daunting. Um, Florida State, Miami, Syracuse, Votech, Wake, uh, and then BC, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Pitt, uh, Virginia. Basically, they missed Clemson, but they get, like, kind of a murderer's row outside of, like, Georgia Tech. And then, like, you can argue about us and Wake Forest, I guess, at BC. But uh, a lot of quality teams, especially if, like, Florida State's better than expected or Miami takes a step forward. So I think there there are some wins here, but there's a there's a universe if the is a little better uh, across the board than people think. Um, that Louisville's going to have a, a kind of a dogfight every week. But, uh, again, we keep on looking at these schedules. They're all pretty difficult. So uh, they'll be a fascinating one, but I think they're they're still in a really good place. And, and uh, as long as they hold on to Satterfield, um, and obviously he stayed pretty long uh, uh, before he tempted to Louisville. He you know, doesn't have, like, a history of jumping around. But if he stays there for a while, they're in pretty good shape, I think. There, I think they're a team that you really don't like to see on the schedule every year, and will have to. And really, I think we would have to under any uh, divisional or schedule alignment. It's not just a, an Atlantic uh, complaints thing. Uh, but you know, last but not least, here is Miami. Obviously, Miami is good. They should be great every year, just based on their uh, you know history of doing so. At least 
in the modern era of, uh, of college football, and especially in the hyper-modern era, when you're looking at probably 80s and beyond, um, they've been great. They've been one of the blue bloods, uh, or at least were one of the you know modern kind of blue bloods for a 20-year stretch, and then have since kind of fallen off if they struggle for consistency. I think for them on defense, I think defense has actually kind of been the calling card over Miami in recent years. Turnover chain, great, whatever. Um, I think the problem now is that Gregory Rousseau will not be playing this year. And with Rousseau not playing, uh, that kind of changes the game for a Miami defense that already had to replace a lot. I think that they could um, be in a bit of a dogfight. And by dogfight, I mean track meet um, most games just because of the fact that a lot of teams are going to be able to score on them, especially without Rousseau, who was a dynamic, dynamic freshman defender um, at the end spot last year. The problem is that beyond, you know, Derek King and maybe, uh, you know, some quality play from the tight end position, I think Brevin Jordan is is one of the better uh, tight ends in the league, but that's not necessarily like a calling card you should want um, as, as, as the, the second best item on your offense. I think that it's really King and King, as we saw in Houston, uh, could do a lot with a lot around him and, and would do a lot even without, um, but he can't be the only, uh, you know, thing to bank on. And while they have a solid offensive line, uh, there's not a whole lot else there, uh, for him to really work with. And I think that that could mean, you know, a, a 500-ish uh, season for Miami. If And really, King is the only thing kind of keeping him around there, unfortunately. And that's that's weird for any Miami team. It's especially like it's, it's going to be a problem uh, for them. And it's going to be a problem really for Manny Diaz uh, because I think a lot of people will expect and, and should expect more than they're probably going to get from them this year. Yeah, it's kind of a shame that uh, we don't get to see a full season of Derek King at Miami because he really is like the most intriguing player to go there on the offensive side of the ball in a long time. Um, their defense, losing Rousseau is really brutal. Uh, one of the best players in the league. Um, and they lose guys like Shaq Quarterman last year from, you know, the NFL and draft and uh, graduation and whatnot. Um, I do think the offense with King is intriguing and it was pretty bad last year. Their quarterback situation was as, as muddled as it gets. Um, they did hire Rhett Lashley from SMU. I have very mixed feelings about it. Lashley is kind of a guy whose name uh, recognition uh, supersedes what he's done. He was uh, kind of anointed really early as like the next big thing. He's only 37 now. So in 2013, he was, uh, I think, made OC at Auburn and was there for a few years. I don't know if he was OC right off the bat or if he was quarterback coach first. But he was kind of like anointed as like Gus Malzahn's heir apparent type deal. Not like officially, but it seemed like he was on that kind of trajectory. And then he was pretty bad as a coordinator at Auburn. He um, quote unquote left Auburn to go to UConn for the same job, which you can read between the lines and figure out what happened there. Um, Was not very good at UConn, um, but then did have some successes at at SMU. Granted, it was under Sonny Dykes, who has obviously plenty of experience uh, running offenses. So I think it'll be pretty interesting to see if Lashley has actually like gotten better. Um, and maybe he did under Dykes, who was a really, really great offensive coach. Or if uh, it was kind of just Dykes and Lashley just happened to be there. So if he's good and they have Derek King um, and they have some talented playmakers, like this could be a pretty fun team, even if the defense now has some issues. But if he's uh, kind of still the same mad coordinator that was at Auburn and UConn, it's kind of a waste, I think. 
Um, but they're interesting. I, I mean, I think uh, Miami's always kind of interesting just by the name and the expectations and like the hopes that they'll be back, quote unquote. Um, but you know, this year could be uh, pretty intriguing on a short schedule. Unfortunately, like again, I wish I wish we had like a full year to see King um, kind of running the show at a big program like this. Obviously, Houston's not a small program, but he is truly one of the more fun to watch college quarterbacks out there. Um, and kind of seeing him wasted on like a ten game schedule if we get one is uh, unfortunate. So now we uh, we kind of close here. Uh, there's nothing really to uh, conclude with uh, from a previous standpoint. It's only because of the first half of two. Uh, we will see everybody next week. Um, I think Clemson's the, the best half. game in this group. That should be said. <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously the best team, but I don't necessarily think that, uh, yeah, again, the conclusion would be that and that alone. No matter the divisional format, I think it would be safe to say that Clemson would be the best team um in said grouping and uh i think what we'll have more conclusions at least to come to next week um yes possibly the conclusion of our previews uh before we actually do the rest of them <laughs> based yeah. on circumstance <laughs> based on circumstance um it would it, it would be entertaining i guess if the only conference we didn't get to to, to preview would be the acc yes in other news, Deion Waiters is doing Deion Waiters things, and the Mets are down 16 to 2. So, uh, sports. Sports. Uh, right now, the Mets would make the playoffs if, uh, if the season ended today and before the end of this game. <laughs> they might just decide not to play after this game. Um, Wouldn't that yeah. be great? That, I, it w- would be fitting for the season to end on a, on a completely ridiculous route um, of the Mets. Yes. All right. Dan, uh, thanks as always. It's a, it, it's a pleasure with or without football. Yes, hopefully, and we do mean this in all uh, you know legitimacy. We all want football in some form this fall, uh, as we say every single week. Um, we are not the fake people who people think don't want football. We want football just safely. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully, we have more football to talk about next week, and uh, the the uh, executioner hasn't come for the sport yet. With you there. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Megaphone, Overcast, anywhere else to listen to podcasts, and Orange. Orange. <laughs>